0: In December 2016, a horrifying murder was committed in Upper Hutt. A woman who was killed in her Upper Hutt home had been living in fear after someone broke into her home a year ago.
1: Detectives are confident Lois Tolly's killers have been caught on camera. They've released more details about those...
0: Resorts. Nearly three years later, a man was arrested. And shortly after, he and two others were charged with her murder. But now, more than two years later, charges against all three have been withdrawn by police. They are back to square one. And part of the reason for that is how they went about obtaining evidence. Now, a controversial police interrogation method that's been implicated in a false confession is under fire from human rights lawyers, criminologists and psychologists. Last month, Crown Law and police lost their legal fight to keep secret the technique which was used in the collapsed Lewis Tolley murder case. I'm Emile Donovan and today on The Detail, the investigation into the killing of Lois Tolley. How a mysterious police interviewing technique elicited a confession, later ruled inadmissible. And what all this tells us about the grey areas police investigators work in, and the thin lines they sometimes step across. Mike White is a senior writer for Stuff specialising in crime, who's followed the Tolly case closely.
1: So Lois Tolly was a 30-year-old chef, a very much-loved family member. On Friday, December 9th, 2016, just before midnight, four people burst into her home in Ward Street in Upper Hutt. They smashed down the front door, and she was shot point-blank in the neck and killed. And uh, police immediately launched an investigation called Operation Archer.
0: I can confirm that we are seeking a knife and a firearm that was used in the killing of Lois. A number of witnesses have been spoken to and they have provided valuable information to us.
1: It was certainly a very brutal murder, a violent home invasion and a point-blank shotgun murder of a woman in her own home in a suburban block of flats. Police called it an execution-style killing. And Lois Tolley was, however, known to be involved with drugs, so the immediate theory about what happened was that this was some kind of drug deal or debt collection gone wrong or taxing or just some standover by gangs or thugs. In terms of the police
0: investigation and how that proceeded, has it been an especially unusual or difficult police investigation from from your perspective as one who has followed this?
1: Yeah, I think it's fair to say it has been a very difficult investigation. I mean, you were dealing with... Uh, people who are probably responsible from the criminal underworld if we can call it that and they're people that aren't going to talk to you for a variety of reasons and it was a very high profile case obviously so there's a lot of public pressure on the police And they were very bullish right at the start. They were confident um, in saying they stood right outside Lois Tolley's flat a few days after the murder and said, you know... Police are seeking four males that were seen decamping
0: from the address. Again, I'd like to appeal to these people to come forward to police and give an account of what happened at that address on uh, Saturday
1: morning. After a while, they said they were very close to making a The police have released
0: descriptions of the four men they believe are responsible for the brutal murder of Lois Tolly.
1: And it's signed up witnesses to testify. A couple of vehicles of interest that have come up. One is a blue
0: Subaru, and the second is a silver-coloured sedan-type car with black wheels.
1: So, for the public, they thought the arrest was only a matter of time.
0: We know four males have gone to the address. We know that these four people would have spoken to the other people, and it 's appeal to those people to come forward of any with any information that they 've got to the inquiry team.
1: But the weeks kind of became months, became years without any resolution, and no one was charged. Sort of middle of two thousand and nineteen, police got information from an informant uh, that a man, we'll call him X because his name is suppressed, Uh, this informant said that X had been involved in the murder and from that point on they started drawing up a plan to kind of interview X and hopefully get some kind of confession or information from him. So they very carefully planned this interview with X in August uh, 2019, two senior detectives, Detective Sergeant Dylan Ross, who some people might have seen on the TV programme Cold Case, and Detective Senior Sergeant Steve Anderson arrived at Wellington's Rumatuck Prison, where X was being held on other charges totally unrelated and they'd already arranged with the prison's manager Viv Whelan to kind of secretly get X up from his cell and take him off site away from the prison and not be told what it was all about until such time as he met the detectives and so that's what they did Uh, they brought X up they took him away and these two hand-picked detectives Um, had the aim of of getting X to talk about the Lois Tolley murder, about what he knew, and maybe even say that he was involved with it. And this wasn't a normal police suspect interview. I think that's really important to stress. Um, When they took him to the police station, there were comfy chairs and chummy chit-chat and McDonald's takeaways. And they kind of half-heartedly recited X's legal rights before immediately asking how's that mcchicken you know so it was kind of really just informal and they interviewed him for five hours that day and then the next day they spoke to him by phone and then interviewed him again the following day
0: what is the nature of that interview how 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 does it begin how does it sort of progress and, and and how does it conclude
1: this is, as I say, it was a special interview, and, and we'll get to this later, but it, it was part of a technique or a method called SIPEM C-I-P-E-M. And it's important to understand that there was a definite belief that X was involved in this crime. So on the first day, there was just kind of a lot of getting to know you and asking X what had happened You know, that night, did he have any ideas, and eventually X suggested four people who he thought might have been involved in Lois Tolley's murder. And then the detective sort of turned this back on X and said, you know, that he'd snitched or narked on these men, one of which was a very close friend of X, and had now put these guys in a lot of trouble. X continually denied that he'd been involved in the attack, and and said that he was just kind of throwing out thoughts. They were about who be, might have been involved, and that they were just his kind of thoughts and opinions. But now the. Police were telling him that he'd sort of committed this cardinal sin in the criminal world of narking on others, and by the third day, the second time that the officers interviewed him face to face, X said he'd sort of take it on the chin, and suddenly said that he'd shot Lois Tolly. But when he did so, he kind of he said, you know. I just prefer to go to jail, bro, for a long time to save the people I love. So there was automatically a kind of a concern that he might not be telling the truth. But he said, you know, he'd shot Lois Tolley when a shotgun fell free. The problem with his confession, which it became, was that a lot of what he said didn't actually match the facts of the case. He said he'd followed four other men into Lois Tolley's flat, but the CCTV footage only showed four people entering the house. He said he shot her in the head, but she was shot in the neck. He said, you know, there was bloodstains all over the wall, but the ESR reported only small bloodstains at the scene. He said he stabbed her in the face, but the only cut to her body was on the back of her thigh. These are all kind of things that you'd think the killer would actually know, but were things that he essentially got wrong from the facts of the case. And and no other witness has identified him, despite him having some very notable features. Nonetheless,
0: um, I guess a, a confession is a confession, and the police laid charges.
1: Yeah, um, uh, the the following month, in September, they um, they charged him with Lois Tolly's murder.
0: A man has been arrested and appeared briefly in the Hut Valley District Court today. Outside court, Ms. Tolly's aunt Yvonne Tolly thanked police for their doggedness. Hopefully, this will. Help us for the rest of our journey um, because it's been a very, very long time. Um, none of us have got closure.
1: And at the time, you know, the, the cops were again very bullish, and the, the officer in charge of the investigation, Scott, Inspector Scott Miller, said, You know, my message to the other three is I know their names and we will continue to pursue them actively for um, this inquiry. And in the following months, two other men were arrested also for Lois Tully's murder. But then we fast forward a
0: couple of years to earlier this year in 2022 and the situation
1: as it stands is what, Mike? Well, the situation is that all those three men who were charged, the case has collapsed against all of them. The charges have been withdrawn. Um, And so we're getting on towards six years on from the murder of Lois Tolley and um, there's no one being held responsible. And I guess, you know, that comes to the crux of, of why this Case collapsed, and that was the interviewing that went on with X by those two officers in that special interview. You describe this interview technique as SIPM.
0: What does that stand for?
1: Okay, so SIPM stands for Complex Investigation Phased Engagement Model. Sometimes they s- Yeah, talk about it as SIPM, but um, for for our purposes, we'll just call it SIPM. And essentially, it's an interviewing technique or method. It's particularly used in cold cases or cases that are proving really tough to crack uh, because no one's speaking to the police. And at its most benign, it's, it's really simple. It's about building a relationship with a suspect or an interviewee and putting them at ease and encouraging them to open up. Um, it's been used by the New Zealand Police since 2018, but nothing about it was reported until this year, when we were finally able to reveal its use in the Lois Tolly case. So,
0: in a like as a useful shorthand, maybe you know people will be familiar with the idea of sort of like good cop, bad cop approaches. Is this just kind of like? Just good cop.
1: That's how they would like the interviewee or suspect to see it. I mean, it it, it takes away the, the trappings of a normal detective suspect interview. tries to make it more of a fireside chat arrangement. The idea is that there's no table between the suspect and the officers, no note taking or paperwork. The videos are uh, the interviews are videoed, but the idea is that a relationship develops that hopefully. Predisposes the suspect or witness to being more forthcoming. And look, it sounds real common sense, just mm-hmm. building rapport. And even one of the judges involved in this case said, look, it's far from revolutionary and there's nothing novel or radical about it. Um, it's all just about building a relationship, maintaining dialogue, and getting away from that kind of cop mode interview. Well,
0: I'm, I'm curious about this is that, like, you say that there's nothing novel about it. Like, I'm thinking about all of the police dramas that I've watched and, you know, The Wire and stuff like that, and it's much more kind of like adversarial. You know, everybody knows this. Anybody who's ever watched a cop show knows what I'm talking about here.
1: You see, now, I'm here to tell you this remaining silent shit ain't nothing like they make it out to be. Mm. Is that pretty accurate? Is that what a normal police interview looks like? Look, I'm not a policeman and, and the interviews will come in all sorts of shapes and sizes. Um, look, I think the, the aim of SIPM is really laudable in many respects. That police want to get away from this old school stereotype of interviewing being done with threats and yelling and intimidation if that still happens. And, you know, the officer in charge of this whole uh, method, um, Detective Superintendent Tom Fitzgerald, says, you know, it's about creating empathy and respect and... and so that's laudable. And so far, so good. You know, that's mm. great. Mm. But it's how it's put into practice that's the problem in, in this case and, and potentially, you know, in other cases where it's been used also.
0: Even if you are using an innovative interviewing technique, there are certain things that you absolutely must do when you're a policeman interviewing someone in, on, under suspicion of crime, right? Like you have to read them their rights, you have to videotape the conversation and, and so on and so forth.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And these are, are set down in, they call it the Chief Justice's um, practice notes on police interviewing. They're kind of guidelines, but they're very strict. You, you, you cannot breach these. They're not just vague ideas that you should follow. They, they are telling the police how to interview suspects because it's a really, really crucial part of our criminal justice system, interviewing people. And you've got to have the information that comes out of those interviews being reliable and trustworthy. What did the officers do
0: or say or neglect to do or say that had the ultimate effect of this confession and this information being ruled
1: inadmissible? Okay, so what happened was the lawyers for X basically challenged the validity of this interview uh, that had been done with their client.
0: In a statement to RNZ, Mr X's lawyer, Robert Lithgow, says there's nothing problematic with a cosy chat type interrogation. However, when it's overdone to give an entirely false sense of fake matiness, coupled with not listening to what the suspect says and repetitive endorsement and insistence that they know the true story, which they did not, it can lead to an entirely artificial narrative.
1: It was taken to a, a, what they call a pre-trial hearing and Justice Simon France uh, in the High Court looked very closely at what had happened and interviewed uh, and, and sat over several days hearing cross examination of the people involved, etc, and in his judgment, he just slammed numerous breaches of, of these guidelines governing police interviewing I mean for example, three times officers spoke with X at length while the video camera was turned off I mean these were repeated and serious serious offenses or breaches, and the officers knew they were breaking the guidelines that the judge said. Um, But he said they, they, you know, at his most favourable view, he just felt that they were perhaps, that the ends justified the means, and uh, despite them kind of breaking the law. Um, He ruled that the officers didn't advise X of his legal rights. On two occasions, they engaged in persistent and unnecessary questioning designed to wear him down. A persistent denial was persistently rejected. A man with an unusual
0: and, to my eye, confused way of thinking has been further confused by
1: an unfair interview process, which leaves him believing he has done the one thing most against his beliefs, namely implicating others. They misrepresented facts by suggesting that killing might have been accidental when this was absolutely not the police theory on it. Uh, they said that the interview style was unfair and improper and that the, the SIPM technique was used to unacceptable excess, in the words of the judge. And he said that X had basically been manipulated through the interview in a way that exploited him and his weaknesses, and that police weren't aiming to get the truth, but rather a confession, something that the police have always said, look, we're just doing this to get the truth, but the judge said in this case he saw little evidence of that. Now, the police are saying it's not sip him, it's not the technique that was at fault, It was just mistakes made by officers in their general interviewing. But these were two really senior, really experienced detectives. And the breaches of the guidelines were so numerous and so serious that Justice Simon France, his 50-page judgment is absolutely stinging. It is one of the harshest judgments I've ever read. And he takes no prisoners in really criticising the police for their actions in that interview with X.
0: SIPM is as you've I think alluded to it's a technique that was developed in New Zealand Uh, presumably there are cases that have used this technique to to elicit information in the past so I mean where does all of this where does this judgment kind of leave SIPM as a tool for police moving into the future and also potentially some of these cases in the in the past do we know
1: yeah well it's a really good question um this was the the first time that SIPM had really been scrutinised by the courts. Um, it's been kept really closely under wraps by the police. It's been used, they say, in five cases. We know of a couple, but this is the only one where it's really been had a, a spotlight shone on it. Basically, though, the judge ruled that this interview with X was inadmissible evidence his trial collapsed because the charges w- were withdrawn. The charges were withdrawn against the other two people. And so the entire trial that was set down for February this year was aborted. So that brought a lot of questions about Sipham, mm. And in a really rare move, the police launched an independent review of the Lois Tolly murder investigation by a, a QC, Aaron Perkins. Again, the police aren't telling us much about that. Um, they refused to even release the terms of reference, yeah. um, but that's supposedly ongoing and then we may or may not be given the results by the police. And, and I think this is symptomatic of how police have dealt with this whole topic of SIPM and police interviewing. While the architect of SIPM, Detective Superintendent Tom Fitzgerald, did speak with my colleague uh, Blair Ensoor, They've pretty much fought us at every step of the way to conceal information about it and to stop us getting documents. And we've had to go to court twice to try and get documents, which we've been successful in.
0: It's a super interesting area, this one, isn't it? Because, like, I mean, I have sympathy with the police here. They want to develop innovative interviewing techniques because they need to get information out of
1: people who don't want to give them information I oh, absolutely look i have incredible uh, sympathy for the police they've got an incredibly tough job basically trying to find out what happened in cases where people don't want to talk to them yeah. um but interviewing is absolutely crucial in any investigation and for good reason there are rules around what you can and you can't do i, I mean we, we don't allow torture because when it, that would be reprehensible and also we couldn't trust the confessions. So in the same way, there's, there's rules around what other things might lead to false confessions, and that's the concern that, as was exposed in this case, a false confession was made due to interviewing techniques, some of which related to SIPM. This was done with the best intentions of solving the murder of Lois Tolley and trying to give Lois Tolley's family some closure but it wasn't done the right way. And, and people will think, oh, look, nobody makes a false confession that if they haven't done it. It's rubbish. But it's one of the leading causes of wrongful convictions around the world. And we only have to look at Tainapora. He spent 20 years in jail after making a wrongful conviction. And, and just this year, we've had exposed, you know, the cases of David Little and Moha Fawcett as well. So there's real scrutiny on interviewing and police techniques which have led to wrongful convictions. Convictions via false confessions.
0: Uh, It's it's fascinating to read through the judgment. Um, uh, Justice France refers several times to the idea of X in this case being manipulated by this interviewing technique but a lot of manipulation goes on in interviews of all sorts you know journalists manipulate talent sometimes to speak more freely offering to knock some time off someone's sentence in exchange for their cooperation in an investigation Is a form of manipulation you know i guess it's all it's sort of it's degrees isn't it
1: oh absolutely look um in this case, if X had been involved and had confessed and was convicted, the police and the method would have been held up as as heroes and, and, and as a brilliant execution of, of police work. It didn't work out that way, and rightly it's being scrutinised because of that. And even the judge says that it's not. Um, he, he's not saying that Sipham, as a whole method, is terrible. He, he he doesn't know. He's only seen this one case. He's just saying it was used to excess and that X was manipulated. You're right. It is. It's matters of of degree. I mean, if if we've got a, a jailhouse snitch who are some of the most reprehensible kind of witnesses that'll ever grace the courts of New Zealand, if you get a conviction from them and, and they've been telling the truth well, truth, well, that's great police work. But if they've told lies, which happens a lot of the time, then it, it, it's a terrible you know, example of bad witnesses being introduced into the justice system. So the line is very indistinct, and often it's a matter of opinion which side of the line we're falling on, whether we're right or wrong in, in using some of these witnesses.
0: And Mike, I, I mean, just finally... Reflecting on this bevy of, of missteps that police have taken and how this case has been investigated and the, the the various turns it's sort of taken, I mean, how do you reflect on it? Has, has it been a vague question, I, I guess, but, you know, where do you, how do you reflect on, on it?
1: I just think it, it's, it's really a really sad case um, because we're no further down the track in knowing what happened to Lois Tolley than we were nearly six years ago. I think what happened in this case was important though that the justice system or the the investigation of Lois Tolley's murder was held to account rightly and was really scrutinised and we didn't just allow a confession by X to kind of sail through and be presented to a jury and I think this needs to happen um, all the time with any investigation and I don't think we should be afraid of asking questions I mean the police do a fabulous job, they work incredibly hard, and they aim to, to get the right person for the right crime, but it's not going to work all the time, and so we shouldn't be afraid of actually questioning them when something isn't done correctly, and I really hope that the review of um, this case uh, comes up with some some kind of lessons for police, and um, And SIPM, if it's used in the future, um, it's now been renamed as as Peace Plus. uh, But I hope that that technique, if it is used, stays within the bounds of the guidelines for interviewing that police um, have to respect.
0: That's it for today. I'm Emile Donovan. The detail is public interest journalism funded through New Zealand On Air and produced by Newsroom for RNZ. You can get us downloaded free to your mobile device every weekday from any podcast platform. Today's episode was engineered by Blair Stagpool and produced by Sarah Robson. Bonnie Harrison is our associate producer, and thanks to Mike White. Matewa.